scribes and scribblers. Welcome back to the Nib Section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. This is Diana Dye, and I'm here with Sharon in her apartment and Sevi in the background. Hi, Diana Dye. How are you? <laughs> Welcome to my apartment. <laughs> thank you, and thank you for this lovely spread. And by spread, she means the glass of champagne that she's got. That's it. Well, you, you also offered a bunch of snacks, which I politely refused because I told you I don't snack. But then you got out the pistachios anyway, so I think that's pretty generous. <laughs> so um, today, it's just Sharon and I, and I think we're going to ramble a little bit about um, this topic, which occurred to me as a result of a bunch of conversations I've been having recently Um I don't know if you listened to my interview with Brad. Sharon, do you actually listen to our podcast? I do. <laughs> it helps me get to sleep at night. <laughs> and I only listen to the episodes that I'm not in. <laughs> That's fair. Um, well, I was talking to Brad and um, the fact that he's turned this decade plus venture into a thriving uh, business, well, a bunch of businesses actually, and uh, at the same time, I was thinking about a interview with Daryl, who um, we both know as a Masubi of, man. Uh, yes, who we both know via varied various degrees of um, separation, but have never met in person. But he had this great interview recently on the Stationary Orbit podcast, where he talked to the hosts about his thinking, um, and how he started the business of Masubi. Um, and I did listen to that You one. did listen to it. It was yeah. a great interview. Yes. And um, what was really enlightening was he basically said, I started out this business with the intention of making a socially conscious um, endeavor. And then from that starting point, I thought, what do I – know about that I can turn into a business, basically. Um, so he started out with this mission and then explored what he, what he could actually produce, what he could make. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, and this whole thing about startups and actually making stuff made me wonder, like, given the opportunity – what would you, Sharon, or me, Diana, what would we make in the world? Like, we, we make all this big noise about what we like and what we don't like. And what we're very we opinionated we're, about that. We're very opinionated. We love to share our opinions about what Not sailor afraid. pilots should do. Not afraid to share our opinion at all. But are we willing to put our tastes and our thoughts on the line if we actually had to make something? Absolutely. But so that's not the question. That's probably not the right question to be asking. Are we willing to be putting our thoughts and tastes on the line? Absolutely. Are mm -hmm. we willing to put our th thoughts and tastes on the line and try and make money probably not yeah, yeah. I think I, it'll, <laughs> I think it would come to varying levels of success <laughs> yeah um so this is our topic for the episode um if we had to have a stationary startup and we had total creative control over it what would we make mm. and if anyone listening to this particular podcast wants to sponsor us for our own stationary <laughs> startup and you think our thoughts and opinions and ideas are worthwhile, please get in contact with us either at the nib section on Instagram <laughs> or the nib section at gmail.com. Or you can DM us individually Absolutely. on Instagram or Facebook. If you think my ideas are completely <laughs> garbage but you love dyes, please DM her and vice versa. No, I don't like this spirit of competition. This is just not, not, <laughs> not very... Um, promotional of good relationships within this <laughs> podcast yeah um so i i gave sharon some very very broad guidelines basically mm. you can be limited by budget but you don't have to be uh you can be limited by what is uh physically and chemically feasible but you don't have to be you can dream big if that's your wish so no micro shimmer inks in my range um, I'm sure you can like put money into the R and D and make it work for you if you're willing no to do that. No micro shimmer in my in okay. my mine neither. That's a spoiler. Uh, so before we get into that in depth, what are you writing with today, Sharon? Well, in the spirit of our last episode, um, where uh, where I talked 
at length about the Pilot Decimo Alumite 20 color edition. Someone kindly uh, sent me a message, I think posted a comment, asking whether I'd actually inked every single one of the 20 colors and were they inked with matching inks. I sadly said no. I think I'd only inked up one of the pens at that point. I'm now on to inking up my second of the Decimo ranges. And I've inked up the Pilot uh, Decimo Alumite Grey. Is it the light grey or the dark grey? So not the light grey, not the dark grey, just the the (laughs) grey. In case that wasn't confusing enough. Just the grey, the plain grey. And I've inked it up with Sailor Gentle Chushu which is a purpley grey, but in a fine nib, just looks grey with a little bit of interesting uh, tint to it. Um, And I've been using this one at work recently, and I think I may be, maybe not upgrading is the right word, but swapping out, swapping out my uh, work decimo to this one. Oh, if you ink one of those every month, it'll still take you more than a year to get Watch this them. space. The nib section, 2025. Sharon finishes inking all 20 of her decimos. That is going to be an episode, guys. Um, so what I'm writing with today is a pen that we've previously reviewed. and um, I, That I, she's just dropped. Yes, I, I did. But it, it takes dropping pretty well. It doesn't... It doesn't um, Damage very easily. It's the Faber-Castell Hexo in the Rose. Sharon originally reviewed this pen and um, she handed it to me. And I've been using it as my day-to-day red ink pen. So it's inked with Dush Infrared. I wanted to bring this out again because I have to say over the course of the last however many months that I've been you know, using this on a day-to-day basis. It's never run dry, never skipped. The seal has been excellent. And I'm just overall really, really impressed with how it performs. Awesome. So I was actually thinking about the Hexo last week because remember previously when we did the review of it, neither of us actually had Lamy Safaris, All Stars or anything like that to compare ah. it to. I picked up last week. Oh, that's a pretty one. A Lamy Lux LX, LX Palladium. <laughs> Anyway, I'm waiting for the converter to arrive. <laughs> so the pen got here, but the converter didn't. Oh, it's such a and travesty that they don't come with converters. They don't come with converters. And so obviously I can get a converter elsewhere, but um, converters are very, very expensive for Lamy pens. And I got this pen on sale. Like, oh, I'm going to admit, I got it on sale and the converter was going to cost like 50% of the price of the pen. I think now we can actually compare, this is obviously the the Lamy Lux is the top of the range in the all-star safari design. Um, but I think it's a really interesting comparison between the two because this, the regular price of it is, I think $90, 90 or $99, 90, I think, um, Australian. Whereas the Hexo, if memory serves, is like 70, 69, 70 something. Yeah. 6970. Um, the two are pretty comparable. So the Lamy Lux does have a bit more weight to it. And it looks more Hexo. expensive. Yeah, it does look more expensive. It's all the extra bling on it. It's just all the extra spikes. I just stuff. noticed like it has this metal little bit at the very, very bottom, which I don't think exists in the Safari or the All Star, although yeah. you can prove me wrong. I think um, so, like comparing these two next to each other, I actually think the All Star is a pretty accurate um, competitor in terms of price point, uh, design, weight, and overall writing experience to um, the Hexo. I quite like the the two. The two actually, they look very nice next to each other. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, the the colors, the colors Mm. work great. Anyway, I thought I thought it was an interesting comparison because you brought that today. I haven't inked mine yet. Um, I wanted to as soon as I actually got it, but then um, yeah, lack of converter issue and I didn't particularly want to use another cartridge of Lamy Blue. Not that there's anything wrong with Lamy Blue. I think it's a good ink, but it's a bit boring. Fair enough. So on to the main topic. What is our stationary startup? Sharon, why don't you start? Do you have a overall 
conception of what you want to serve uh, as your target demographic, what kind of aesthetics you have in mind, what are you wanting to make? Like, are you inspired to produce pens, inks, paper? Sure, you don't want to go first because I feel like, you know, the cup <laughs> runneth over with ideas on your end. My problem is always too many ideas and then when they come under further scrutiny, I'm like, oh, but maybe this isn't very socially responsible. Am I really putting the right ideas out there? Okay, yeah. so when you first messaged me about this particular idea, uh, I was at work. So all the ideas that I came up with were work-related. You know, it had to be functional, had to be professional. I had to... Oh, wow, you know, this is like completely different. <laughs> the aesthetic, but the aesthetic had to be something that I wasn't going to be embarrassed about when taking it out at work because... Um, I don't actually have to put your name to it. Like, no one will know this is Sharon's art. No, 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 no. But I'm going <laughs> to actually be carrying it around, obviously, as a good brand ambassador. Really? Okay. You're, I guess, it, I guess. Well, are you going to be embarrassed to carry <laughs> to carry and use your own stationery? My goodness. Maybe I'll carry it like two days of the week. <laughs> I, I was at work when I was thinking about this. I went straight to functional, you know, a professional, um, sleek, something that was work appropriate and work functional. So I went to um, I went to paper and pens as a starting point. And we can talk about that in a bit more detail, but when I regrouped about this uh, particular topic, I think yesterday evening or this morning, I went for the complete opposite. So I was thinking my stationary brand is going to be, as you mentioned, probably a little schizophrenic. And that's not, pro- that, uh, apologies, that's not a very good term to use. That's true. So maybe like a work and play dichotomy. That's, that's actually what I wrote. <laughs> I, I wrote, it's all about extremes, uh-huh. the work and play, the work and play or station. Oh my gosh, we do share a brain cell. <laughs> One. (laughs) We spent too much time together. So I was thinking of the extremes, you know, one which is your very functional, um, almost understated, but um, understated, but uh, very, very functional. I think I've already said that word many, many times, but I'm all about function, right? Utilitarian. Utilitarian. Yeah, utilitarian, uh, but also, you know, professional. Professionals. um, Something that can... Uh, carry a bit of um, elegance to it, understated elegance to it. And then on the extreme side, I want something inspired, like I want something very Art Nouveau. I want it to be an explosion of patterns, of colours, but of like very rich colours in the Art Nouveau style, like bold, very, very bold. Uh, So I think it would be a weird mixture where – I would have the pens and the paper side of things being more on the work end and then the ink range being complete crazy. What kind of colour palettes are you thinking about for the inks? Art Nouveau, like your um, like your stained glasses. Mm-hmm. Like really rich. Really rich stained jeweled glasses, jewelled glass, glass um, a, an excellent black, like a very, very strong black that is bold there's none of that wishy-washy like grayishness to the black a very solid black I like black guys <laughs> I like black ink what do you look for in a black ink aurora black I'm gonna I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go and buy like a vat of aurora black and I'm gonna rename it aurora-ish black <laughs> I think it's interesting that we, we're both inv- avoiding pens. Well, I did say that my range would be paper and pens. I just haven't thought very much about the pens. The pens. Okay. I did not go so far as to think of it as a cohesive brand identity. I, I came at it from like two different angles. One, um, this really emotional angle where there is something that I really, really want to be out there in the world and I haven't seen it. So I kind of wish I could, you know, make that into existence and that is um, a scented notebook or journal. So uh, I don't know. I think you can find those. Oh, I'm pretty- I, I googled it and I couldn't. But like there are all of the – I'm going to use this term so offensively. I, I'm going to absolutely get blasted for my use of language on this episode. I apologise in advance if it's not politically correct. Old ladies' notebooks, they smell like papuri. Exactly. Like an old ladies' notebook but with actually good fountain pen – paper in it but some of those old lady notebooks actually very good you just have to go to the old lady notes 
stores. I, well, so there used to be this gift shop uh-huh. up in the Queen Victoria building. And like the fact that it's in the Queen Victoria building gives you an idea of the type of um, gift shop it was. It was an Italian uh, paper paper um, shop that was on like the top level. Tiny little thing. Didn't sell pens, sold quills. With like yes, I remember bottle that. inks. I remember? think I have a notebook from that. <laughs> yeah, and those ones used to be scented. They used to smell like papuri, and I can't stand the smell of papuri. It just reminds me of a bathroom. I don't. Okay, so what prompted this was I was thinking of the one of the very first journals and notebooks that I had, maybe like when I was six or seven. So back in the early nineties. That lets you know how old I am, <laughs> and. It was, I think, one of the first diaries I made that was in English. So I was writing in English and it had this like a rose, a faint rose scent that lasted and lingered for over 10 years. Like I remember when I I unpacked it out of storage um, many, many years later, it still carried that faint scent. And as much as, you know, the, the design of the cover and everything, it was, you know, very childish at that time. Um, I would not use that journal now, but I just, I really love that idea of a good writing journal that carried a scent. And you know that I'm also like a perfume collector. Um, I was thinking, do I want to make scented inks? But, you know, I don't know how perfume oils actually work with the quality of inks I, f- I feel like you're sacrificing some aspect of um either the ink properties or the perfume properties by combining them together so i was thinking maybe case paper. in point your vetiver exactly, exactly. from Mont blanc yeah um so i abandoned the scented ink idea and i'm thinking scented paper um and i don't see well okay i i didn't you know, do an exhaustive search. I did, however, Google uh, scented writing paper and scented journals, and I couldn't come up with very many um, inspiring or impressive search results. So I was thinking of something that looks like a premium journal, but with really good paper that looks handbound, but also has a distinctive scent. And it could be like a range of scents. Um, you know, I like... I like scents in the vetiver range when it's not made by Mont Blanc. I like <laughs> <laughs> like incense, um, like honeysuckle, although that can be a bit strong, um, like orange blossoms, um, lime and pomegranate, you know, just very – Like what? <laughs> a grapefruit. I love that the French call it pamplemousse. Pamplemousse. I've never heard of that before. Now I'm going to Google to make sure that this is right so that it can stay in the episode. But okay. I'm pretty sure the French for um, grapefruit is pamplemousse. Oh, grapefruit is a really nice one, like lily of the valley. Just pamplemousse. Pam- pam- pa- it just – anyway, it looks like pamplemousse. <laughs> it does. Um, <laughs> Anna, maybe you can like let us know how you <laughs> pronounce this. Um, sorry for butchering the language. Yeah, sorry about that. So, you know, those types of scents, like popular scents, not old lady scents. Lavender. No potpourri. No, no lavender. No, lavender, no um, really heavy rose. Light, refreshing. So I'm going to go a step further and mm-hmm. I'm going to say, I think you could do this in one of two ways. Mm-hmm. And the way that I would do it is probably different from what you're explaining. I'd get a journal and I'd formulate a scent in a bottle that comes with the journal so that it's not actually staining the pages of the journal. It just reminds me of the Legally Blonde moment where she hands in her CV, Elle Woods hands in her CV, and someone goes, your CV, your resume is pink. And she goes, and it's scented, smell it. Like that to me is something that you'd have to add on after the fact rather than having the stationery be pre-scented with that because of potential contamination, potential like uh, scent mixing, stuff like that. Whereas if you bottled a scent and made it such that if it, as a finishing touch, it wouldn't smear the ink or it would um, not damage the writing, I think that'd be a nice finishing touch. I'm at two minds about this. Like, I feel like making it an afterthought, like a separate item, is almost like 
having scented ink, you know, something that you might as well buy them separately. And there's nothing very, um, nothing, there's no strong narrative to explain why this particular scent goes with this particular um, journal. And also that's really not the product that was sparking um, this nostalgic memory in my mind. Like that was actually a journal that like the, every sheet of paper had that scent and it somehow managed to last for a very, very long time. And I think maybe um, I don't know enough about the chemistry of how you'd actually make um, paper imbued with scent that lasts. But I would assume that um, the properties of that perfume would be quite different to um, like a perfume that you'd wear on the mm. skin. Yeah. So um, yeah, it requires more investigation, I guess. Mm. <laughs> but I, I, I really like um, the idea of that. And of course um, there would have to be like a spin-off line where you could buy letter and writing paper um, that you can actually give to other people. Cause I think it's nice to receive a piece of stationery from someone else, like a letter or a note that is really nicely scented. Um, and maybe if you're a letter writer, that doesn't necessarily make you a good judge of what is a good scent to receive, you know, in the form of a letter. So part of that curation process and the product design process is, you know, discovering what is inoffensive and pleasant um, and sparks good memories when you receive it in that form um, of like a letter or a journal. Like I, I would, I don't, I don't want a piece of writing paper to, I receive to smell necessarily like, like men's cologne. <laughs> um, maybe no sandalwood <laughs> paper for you. I, I don't mind. I the like scent the of sandalwood. sandalwood. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> But sandalwood, uh, as I said, is actually very expensive, like good sandalwood. Yeah, so something along those lines. And so that's one avenue that I was thinking down. And the other one was, so um, this is also inspired by other interests of mine. I was thinking about the idea of um, curated collections that are inspired by an image or by um, a like a piece of artwork or a photograph or something like that. We talked about this Did in we? well, we talked about something similar in terms of doing a make it your make make it yourself uh, sailor in one of the ah, episodes yes, where yes, you yes. said you know you would come out with bits and pieces almost in line with a seasonal mm-hmm. uh, fashion range. Yes, like this. Yeah. Um, and my direct. Um, sparking points and inspirations for this was several like there's the Canalea pens example where they make pens that are mm-hmm. sort of inspired by particular um locations in Hawaii photographs. and photographs mountain of ink Kelly and her <laughs> ink palettes just yes, gonna plug that's another one I'm just gonna plug it there because I love those ink palettes there's also I don't know if you have any toucher inks but they have a line of inks called uh yukio air and it's inspired by the art movement in the 17th and 19th centuries of japan Mm. um and each bottle has um like the box has a piece of artwork on it um by one of those famous um artists of that movement and the color of the ink is sort of echoing a particular dominant colour in that artwork. Um, I think that's a really beautiful way to present ink. And the, ink, the colours are really nice as well. So it's not just presentation. But, um, you know, it's a very cohesive theme. It's very visual um, and really colourful. So that's another good idea. And I was also thinking about um, like an older inspiration would be a makeup artist who I've like adored for years decades um dick page who was creative director of shiseido makeup from like 2007 to 2016 and while he was at shiseido he produced um, a line of eyeshadow trios um i can't remember exactly what they were called but each trio was inspired by a photograph that he's taken on his travels. So they had really evocative names like bouquet, um, jungle, strata, opera, um, boudoir, and often the trios would be quite unexpected and fresh colour combinations, like not your typical, um, you know, gradient 
um, trios. I, I really like that concept and I think it was a good idea to introduce colour but in a cohesive and um, like a theme-inspired way. And last of all, the inspiration was um, Shantikai's Save the Earth collections. Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> Yeah, a couple of those palettes. Me too. They're really nice. So Shantikai is a a French. I think. I I think they're French makeup company. um, Maybe owned by the same guys as Shiseido, actually. Um, But they have a um, a continuing like a line in their collection of eyeshadows and so on that are um, devoted to conservation efforts so they have um like limited edition palettes called save the bees and um it's like i have the <laughs> coral yes and the tiger mm-hmm, me too and i have one more that i can't remember i have several but i've broken them all up because <laughs> i depot all my eyeshadows but anyway it, it's like um i like the idea that it's um, a one-off item that it has this great art illustration on all its um, packaging and so on that the colors cohere with the theme and also that the the profits are actually going towards um, a beneficial cause. So that those were the sort of ideas that were um, spiraling around in my head. And I was thinking, could I make like collections of inks that are inspired by say um, either an endangered habitat or an endangered species so something like um, something close to home would be for example like the Great Barrier Reef so I take an image of the Great Barrier Reef um, you know pick out you know four to six colors and make that make that the save the Great Barrier Reef collection Um, and part of the proceeds from that would go towards um, like some cause that tries to um, help can conserve the Great Barrier Reef. But then, like, my mind went along these very unproductive tangents where I was thinking, like, is that really helpful? Um, to, That's for, what I was going to ask. <laughs> I was going to ask this because the thing about when I was thinking about an ink collection, I just went with one. I wanted one Art Nouveau-inspired collection, and that was it because it has all of the bold, rich colours that I think you would need in a, any standard, standard, quote-unquote, um, palette of inks. It has a good black. You've got uh, varying shades of blue, turquoise, light blue, Blue, you've got a deep red burgundies and you've got like ambers in all of those like you have you hit on all of the major colors and that was it so I am not a big fan shock horror I am not a big fan of uh constantly releasing new inks it get, I think you get ink fatigue you get fatigue and I think it oversaturates uh what is a very good core collection so as an example I used to follow Robert Oster almost religiously. I had all of it. I had all of his inks at one point. And I still think that overall they're very good inks. But there were so many and it was every second week there'd be a new color coming out that it was very overwhelming to keep up with. And by the time you look at the collection now, I think they're at like what 6 700 inks that are in the standard range and then more in special um in uh, the special editions. And I think just from my personal perspective, that's not something that I aspire to do. So you should be on the pursuit of perfecting whatever it is that you put out rather than trying to you know, keep up with the Joneses, keep up with the Kardashians. Um, and I think you should just be focusing on perfecting what it is that you're releasing out to the market. So if you've got a product and you can stand by it, back it, you know it's going to stand the test of time. So I think back to the ink brands that I particularly enjoy, like Aurora, for instance, they've had a black and a blue for like a decade and then they brought out a blue black and everyone was like, oh my gosh, Aurora brought out a new ink. And then for their anniversary, they brought out, I think it was too seven, many colors, <laughs> seven or 10 inks. It was way too many, right? But the blue and the black stood them in good stead for 10, 10 or so years. And then you think back to Waterman. Waterman, they've got the same collection of inks that's not changed for the last couple of decades. And they're all very reliable. They're all very solid. You would have no hesitation recommending any of them, except for the black. The black's garbage. Um, 
and and the green's not great either. But everything else is pretty pretty awesome. So I I am more of a um, if I were to do my own brand, I would be um, focused on getting a limited range in the form of inks right rather than trying to come up with collection after collection after collection. And that's also because um, by nature, I'm not a particularly creative person, right? I'm, I don't go to sleep thinking of ideas. And for me, if I do have an idea, it's something that I'm very, very attached to and I want to get it right. I want to get it close to perfect rather than constantly trying to think of the next idea. Okay. I think those are really good points. And um, in addition to the fact that I'm not... F- a great fan of the idea of constantly putting out limited editions. Um, I don't like having too many, much repetition, like colours that are very similar. Um, more importantly, I hated the idea of a particular cause being attached to a particular product that ends up creating unintentionally like competition between those causes. Like, for example, like one product may sell better and then as a result produce – um, more donations for one particular cause as opposed to another. And I just think that's very unproductive. Yeah, ocean blue will sell better than your honey well, exactly. yellow. Well, <laughs> exactly. And that's like no fault of theirs. That's like my fault. Um, so I agree. Um, and I think I, I came down that it was probably better to have like a single collection, but maybe not released all at once where um, there's no – like it have to be conceived – as an entire collection covering all your color bases, but maybe not, maybe released over the course of, you know, multiple seasons, like the Rishizuku inks initially were. Um, and I would have the colors somehow be related to particular um, natural environments, you know, like, um, like I said, the jungle or savannah, um, polar ice caps, things like that. Um, and yeah, and I really like the conservational element. <laughs> Uh, so that's the area that I was thinking, which has nothing to do with my scented paper, which is why you know that <laughs> I was thinking about two completely different things. So you mentioned, I really want you to go a little bit more into your pens that you my were talking pen. about. So I didn't think too much about <laughs> the pen aspect and simply because I don't think I can design a better yeah, pen that's, than that's the what I was decimal. <laughs> I didn't let, allow my mind to go too far into ink, uh, pens because I think there's a lot of room for um, individualizing inks through um, through copy and through marketing and through the images that you release with it. But I think there's very little scope for that with pens. Like the pen is the pen. <laughs> I mean, I think it's very easy to build upon an existing pen or if you had a pen in front of you, you – especially for us because we have um, had the fortune of trying so many. It's very easy to pinpoint what we like, what we don't like, what we would change here and there. But to come up with a pen from scratch, I think would be very difficult. What I would like to do is do sort of like what the gentleman stationer does and do a curated collection of the favourites that I use or um, a selection of pens that I find extremely um, versatile and ex- widely accepted. Right, ones that I, ones that I would stick, uh, I would back. Okay, uh, so those are what we would do, given the power and the resources, I guess, to put our imprint on the stationery market. You can judge us um, based on that. Neither of us are makers. I don't think I've ever like made a thing I have really I made a bag once Uh uh-huh one strap was longer than the other (laughs) it was meant to be a backpack it's now just a solo one shoulder bag um I've also made a pair of shorts once for yourself for myself okay it didn't quite work out there was something missing so I had to change it to a skort and this probably tells you how old it was given that skorts are just not a thing anymore no one calls them skorts anymore what are they called nowadays Aren't they just um, what do they call them? They're like Japanese sort of skirt style shorts. Pants. They're skorts, they, but they have a name now. Skorts. Skorts. I've never seen the word skort out there in the oh wild. <laughs> skirt short. Skort. Great, great name. So, just I want to uh, probe a little bit more about your inks, right? Sure. What type of 
features would you be looking to have as part of your ink? Uh, because obviously, you know, colour is one aspect of it. What about function? I'm all about function. Like it's got to work, right? So what are the characteristics that you would like or not like in your ink? So we mentioned micro shimmer right in the very beginning. No micro shimmer. So I love the look of micro shimmer. I, I really, really do. I think it's super cool. And last week I opened up a bottle of Rouge Hematite, Jehobam Rouge Hematite. I really like the ink, not going to lie. I think it's a very striking It's a really ink. nice red, actually. It's a really nice red, super sheeny, and it's got a lot of micro shimmer in it. So you've got a depth, like you've got a hint of red that sheen, sheens green and has got gold to it. So when you write stuff down, it looks rich. Um, I put it through a pen last week and the pen stopped writing for a day and it involved me basically taking apart the pen, putting a piece of paper through the tines and between the nib and the feed to get out all of the excess shimmer and then putting it like nib down for about what? overnight, then taking it out, dabbing the top, dunking it slightly in water before it started writing again. Oh my gosh! Talk I have about too much. Talk about too difficult, right? I also have a bottle of Rouge Hematite and Emerald of Cheval, and I haven't used them in about four years. <laughs> so I I used um, Emerald of Cheval recently. So Emerald of Cheval is just as beautiful as you remember it to be, especially on good quality paper. You know, it, it's it's green. It's like emerald. It's red. It's gold. It's like. Have you tried it on Cosmo Light yet? I have not oh, actually. Should. I've been trying it recently. Well, I've been using it recently on uh, Midori and Tomoe River. On Midori, it's beautiful. Oh my gosh, it's fantastic because Midori also stops it from going overboard in terms of its flow. It's a very wet ink. And I, I'm reminded how beautiful the ink is, but I'm also reminded of all the things I hated about it the fact that it doesn't dry. It doesn't dry. You put your hand on it and it smears everything, right? It never stays It never stays intact. You have to use blotting paper constantly with it. And if you have even the slightest bit of sweat on your hand, so if you get nerves and you sweat through your fingers, don't touch the page because it's just a hot mess. And on Tomoe River, it never dries, ever. Well, I so think, lovely ink. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a reason why I mention Curran Dash inks so often, and that's because as a range, I think they they contain so many of the properties I really, really like in inks. Um, they are performance-wise, you know, not too dry, not too wet. Um, the collection's very cohesive, but not very expensive. I think there's less than 10 different colours, 10 or 12. They're super expensive. They're one no, of no, the no. most ex- extensive. Oh, sorry. Not expensive. <laughs> I would have tried to bite my own nose off had you said it was not expensive. It I will, is. I will allow. I, I say. I say that caveat every single time I mention them. I know they're very. 30, expensive. Is it like thirty-five or forty mils? Something like that. For base, it is. It is and one the, of the most expensive inks up. It's up there. Yes, it's more expensive than Mont Blanc. Is it more expensive than the Mont Blanc? Um, no. I don't think so. Um, the, the 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 ridiculously elixir. the elixir one. The thank elixir you. inks. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Um, they're definitely less than 50, I think. No, they're, they're like, not. Are you sure? <laughs> oh, okay. They're pretty pricey. They're pretty pricey. They're very pricey. But they're, but they're worth it, unlike the Mont Blanc Elixir. Exactly. Ooh. <laughs> exactly. And, um, like, I, I don't think individually maybe um, they're as exciting as, say, you know, Sailor Gentle Blue or um, Tokiwa Matsu. But as a whole, great inks, those two. <laughs> great inks. But as a whole, I think the collection itself is one that I'd be happy to use um, if I had to stick to one particular collection. And um, you know, there's nothing extreme in terms of their shimmer or their shading. Although that I think in general they shade better than a lot of uh, the Japanese inks. Like they they're um, a little bit drier. Um, and on the paper, they, they do a lot more shading than I think the Sailor Gentle inks do or even um, most of the Orochizuku inks. Um, and so I, I, re- I like those properties. Um, I'm not a big fan of sheening. Um, I'd like ink that looks good when you use it in a fine or extra fine pen. And I like it to dry fast. So those are properties that I like. So 
despite everything I said earlier about how I want to keep the collection nice, neat, and just a very few colours. <laughs> okay, I see your butt coming. <laughs> Here's a butt. Um, I was thinking, so I was thinking about when you have ink, ink for fine or extra fine nibs is different to ink for a broad nib. Like it exhibits different characteristics and an ink that works really, really well in a fine nib might not work great in a broad nib because it's just too dry for a broad nib or it's it's not lubricated enough. Um, or, you know, in some instances, it's way too wet for a broad nib. So I was thinking about what if you had an ink range that was designed at three or like three, um, yeah, two or three different styles. Um, one, which is slightly drier, might be better for um, fine and uh, fine, extra fine nibs, like dries really fast. Um, one that is more suited towards broader ink, so it's a little bit more lubricated. But again, I like the fast drying properties. Um, really? I thought it'd be the other way around. I like the really well lubricated inks in fine nibs because I find if they're not um, very free flowing, then I, I get that not a scratchiness, but more friction on the paper, which is not pleasant. One or the other. Um, mm. So I prefer, I prefer slightly, um, I prefer middle of the road inks in a fine nib. In a broad nib, I do tend to go towards uh, lubric- well lubricated, but not super wet inks. So um, in, broader nib- in broader pens, I tend to use a lot of uh, German inks because they are quite well lubricated, but they're not and they're not wet like a sailor ink. Sailor ink I use almost exclusively in fine fine nibs. But I think um, if you had a black a black for a broad nib is not the same black for a fine nib. Hmm, interesting. So yeah. you so you'd you'd have, have the, the same, same colours co- but in different levels of wetness flow. or flow. I think wetness is a bad word to use in copy. <laughs> <laughs> I got it from Zoolander. Water is the essence of wetness. You'll always take your marketing points from Zoolander, I guess. Yeah. It'll be my blue steel versus magnum. You know, the regular range will be blue steel and the X, the other one will be called the magnum. Oh, my gosh. That's a great idea. Venture capital money coming your way, Sharon. Ka-ching. Hit me up, PE funds. I, I think that that is something that you don't actually see out in the market at the moment. You don't get the same colour but with slightly different characteristics. So, for instance, I, I love um, sailor inks. I love sailor inks but I would not put a sailor ink through a really wet pen. I just wouldn't. It's a recipe for disaster. But don't hmm, – I'm thinking about how that would work. I mean, wouldn't it be easier to have the one colour and then an additive? Adjust your flow. Exactly. Um, I mean, there's more, more room for error. Because- I think, yeah, you get more room for error mm-hmm. if you have an additive. But I do think if you do two, one, one drier, one slightly wetter, uh, I think that will cater towards kind of the ends of the market. And then mix them together if you want something in between. Middle of the road, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Fair enough. But the same colours. Yeah. Yeah. Not that many. Collection of maybe six. <laughs> six is not a lot. Okay, eight. I mean, if you, if you talk about Pull the my primary colours, you, you have a black, you need a grey. So I need uh, – no, you don't need a grey. You don't need a grey? You just put water in the black. <laughs> what? <laughs> don't do that. No, don't, don't do, don't that, do that, guys. Don't do that. But grey is effectively a black that's just been diluted a few too many times. Oh, sacrilegious. I can see all the ink fans coming after me with pitchforks. Look, please don't revoke my ink carrying card. Sharon, I still you, I still own like 300 <laughs> bottles. Okay. You said that you're writing with a grey ink today. I mean, would you I know. describe that as a watered down black? Yeah, I would. But it's a watered down black that's interesting. Okay. All right. Unlike Waterman Black, which is a watered down black that's uninteresting. What are your essential colours? Your black. <laughs> yes. Black. Okay. A blue. Um, a blue. So uh, like a deep blue, a deep blue, a turquoise. So like a Tiffany, Tiffany blue. Like so a like Tiffany a black lamp. and five blues. I don't know. Like turquoise, blue, um, a jewel toned red. So like a 
um, probably not garnet, more ruby, so a bit more pink than orange Brick, red. Yeah. So a pinky red. And I only I say pinky red because red always dries out. Um, like the lighter the colour always dries out, the longer you leave it in a pen. A pinkish red dries out nicer than an orange red. Orange red dries out and it looks a bit like uh, it looks a bit like day old carrots. So like current dust sunset. No, no, pink. like red, yeah, red, you. but with the undertones are going to be pink, mm. like a blue base red rather okay. than an orange base red, um, and with a bit more pink to it. So like Sailor Irori, Sailor Irori, um, which is my actual, actually my ideal red. Um, so a red, but slightly darker than Sailor Irori, slightly darker uh, red, a green, and then uh, some type of like amber color i'm just going via like the stained glasses that you see right and some type of amber and i know it's not very prevalent in stained glasses but you have to have a purple as well okay and i think that's my collection done how much how many colors is that purple two blues a black a red a green and an amber that's seven yeah i'm no need for a brown i don't like brown i well i do i like I it's like hard to walnut. get a really good brown. I like walnut yeah. ink. So the actual walnut ink that you mm, make that out sepia, of the, like yeah, cool the sepia brown. walnut inks that you actually that you make out of the grounds um, for calligraphy. I think that's a beautiful color. I just don't like many brown inks. I haven't found a nice brown ink except for actually the Marazen Athena sepia is fantastic. Beautiful ink. I think it's a lovely, lovely color. Seven colors. There you go. Optional brown. All other colours are optional as well. <laughs> you don't need a Sailor 123 in your life. Guys, please come at me with your pitchforks. I have hardened my skin <laughs> in readiness for this episode. It's I true. Say, you don't need 100 colours. You don't, you don't need 100 colours. You don't need a 123. You don't need a yellow. You don't need – I saw one. So I saw one of Kelly's uh, from Mountain of Inks reviews recently of – I think it was a Jinhao colour. I'm going to find it. We'll link it in the show notes. But it was of this beautiful colour. It was like a rose gold peachy colour. It was completely illegible. Wait, wait a Jinhao ink? I think it was a Jinhao ink. Okay. Was, um, I didn't I know Jinhao made inks. I'll find it. But it was a beautiful colour, but completely illegible. Great marketing right there. Lots of illegible inks now. <laughs> oh, I remember what I was thinking of. Um, so your thing about the blue inks. The other idea that I had, which is like very limited, um, maybe like a one-shot wonder idea, was I was thinking of a, a, a very small range of inks that are based around the concept of Qing. So um, in Chinese, the character Qing um, is a colour, basically, or a family of colours. And it's very difficult to translate. Porcelains. But, um, like the collection of porcelains. No, 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 no. no. Um, like like, blue like green. the actual colour. The actual colour. Yeah, blue, blue green. My like, dad calls it purple, but he's colourblind. It's purple. How did he get purple? It's called being colourblind. <laughs> um, so in... In Chinese, um, depending on how you use the word, it can mean green, blue-green, blue, blue-black, green-black, like a whole range of colours. You, you know how in, in the uh, – isn't in, in the Iliad um, or the Odyssey where they talk about how Greeks don't actually know – they don't have a word for blue? It's kind of like that. Like who knows exactly what colour Qing is, but it's, um, it's rife throughout literature and history and it's used to describe all sorts of things from the colour of bruises um, to mist to um, – That's how you get the purple. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> they must be also colourblind um, to the colour of like the ocean um, and forests. So I was thinking like um, shades of Qing um, where it's a range of inks that go from – you know, the purple from to green. Fine, fine. We'll include a purple as well, <laughs> but mainly greens and blues and blue blacks. Mm. So I found the ink. I take it back. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a Jin Not Hao. a, Not a okay. Jin Hao. It was a Pen BBS. Yes. Okay. It's Pen BBS 129. Uh, I think look. it's Shu Is that like the rose gold? Yeah. Ooh, it's okay. the one that is completely illegible. Shu um, Completely illegible, but beautiful looking. How did she actually get it to show up? Well, barely show up. It, she wrote with it. Yeah. What it looks like, um, listeners, is ink that's been 
like sun faded over the course of, you know, um, multiple years of exposure to UV. It looks like your pen, the pen that you're writing with today, Mm -hmm. but in ink format. Yes, and and completely illegible. (laughs) Completely illegible. Yeah. Yeah. What's the point? No, I don't understand either. What's the point? Can some so someone? It's not for writing at all. Well, it's marketed as a fountain pen ink. It is a fountain pen. It's a pen. Does pen BBS do anything other than fountain pens? I think ink now has just gone beyond um, purely for being for fountain pens. I think now we're just. No, making ink for the purpose of making ink. ink okay, that's so listeners just who for swabbing, for like pouring onto paper, for drinking maybe. <laughs> so listeners who do like these light coloured inks, please message us, comment at us, <laughs> no, DM don't, don't direct us. this at me. Direct okay, this at DM, Sharon. <laughs> like message me at Sharon Zar on Instagram or at the nib section. I'll read those messages instead of die, right? Please tell us, what is the appeal of light-coloured inks? So I know there is an absolute army of people who love Sailor Manyo Haha. That's the blue? It's the light one. It's one of the light multi-shaders, right? Blue purple, I think. Whatever. It sits in a pen and then it changes colour in like three weeks' time. Um, Please message us, well, message me, and tell me what is the appeal of an ink like that? Like, are you actually writing like, okay. with it? Like, Sharon, did you ever in middle school use those pastel gel ink pens, which were completely illegible, but like all the girls bought them and we had them in our pencil cases and we never knew what to do with That's them. That's a bit sexist. <laughs> Look, I'm sure oh, I it, certainly did. If it, if it had a frosted body, Ruby would definitely <laughs> buy it, right? Seriously. Um, so, no, I didn't buy those. But what I was a big fan of, and sorry, this complete sidebar. So, uh, the brand Zebra, I think Zebra, um, made these marble um, gel pens. Oh, I um, remember that. Yes. So, they made these super marble gel mm-hmm. pens. They look like um, ice cream swirls. Yes, ice cream swirls. So, I was obsessed with those. And when they discontinued them, I was so devastated. I, jo- I joined a group on Facebook called Bring Back Super Marble, a Zebra Super Marble or Jelly Pens or something along those lines. But those pens were actually legible. They were legible, but they were like they were quite pastel. They were yes. pastel colours. Yes. There were a lot of yellows in those, like yellowish golds in them. But they were ideal for writing on dark coloured paper. Fountain pen ink is not oh, going to true. write on dark coloured paper mm. unless you want it to ruin your pen. Right, even document, uh, diatramentous document white doesn't write that well on black paper. It looks very, very sickly. Okay, listeners, if you can think of like a legitimate use for these kinds of inks beyond simply swapping them and let going, us know. oh my gosh, look <laughs> at the sheen. Yeah, beyond that, please, no, honest, honestly, please message me because I look, I look at. Sailor Manyo Haha, like every every second week. And I think about buying it every second week. But I've held out up until now because I cannot fathom a practical use for this ink. I really can't. So please, listeners, message, message, message. Give us your feedback. Um, tell me how many, in how many ways I am wrong. Please tell me. <laughs> On that note, if you have any like great ideas for a stationary startup, also let us know. We love these kinds of ideas, um, especially if they're completely unrealistic and unlikely to come. So I want that super marble gel pen mm-hmm. as an ink. As an ink, okay. I, like they're stunning. Actually, I have some of them. I still have some of them. They when they got How would re-released. That work as an ink though. How would you get the swirly colors? I don't know. I'm not a chemist. <laughs> someone else's problem not mine <laughs> this is just me being ideas person You'd right need, like multiple chambers i guess in the in the in the pen body and different it's just not the same because no, the, they were just the mixed flow together of ink just yeah. works differently anyway but we're saying this mm. is what we would like right i don't have to make it come to life i want some of these super marble gel pens in an ink format thank you very much and not in the way of like one of those multi-shaders. It's not the same thing, guys. Mm. Not the same thing. 
I'm going to write something with these gel pens later tonight and I'm going to post it on Instagram so that we can link to it in the show notes and you can all see what I mean. Okay, if we have any budding chemists out there who can somehow manage to make that work as a concept, let us know. Joe, Joe, <laughs> Yes, Joanne. <laughs> okay, on that note, um, let's get to our recommendations. Do you have something to recommend to our listeners? Okay, so... I struggled with um, a recommendation because I've been too embarrassed to say that for the past two and a half months since February, every Saturday evening when it's supposedly my bedtime, I've actually been tuning into a reality TV show called uh, Produce Camp 2021 or Trong. 2021. It's available on WeTV and it's a Chinese idol selection show where the boys are all, well, not all underage, but quite young. Uh, There are 90 boys who compete for a position. It's dog eat dog, isn't it? It's not dog eat dog. It's very wholesome. Oh, okay. Uh, It's very wholesome, (laughs) but it's a show where 90 boys compete to be part of an 11 member boy band. And it finished last week and I went through a roller coaster of emotions watching this because I became really, really attached to some of the boys and then some of the other boys just made me laugh. And it, it's, it's actually quite wholesome. Everyone just wants to sing, dance, have a good time, chase their dreams and become famous and make money. Like it's, it's all very, very wholesome. But I only decided to recommend uh, Produce Camp 2021 or Trong 2021 because it now that the series has ended, one guy in this entire show has just hit it out of the park in terms of his fame. He's been featured on The Guardian as soon as the show ended. There was an article in The Guardian about him. It was featured on Daily Mail. He Even in Australia, he was featured on The Project in Australia. And it's about this guy called Lelouch. See, I did not know about this show until he blew up. (laughs) So Lelouch is this – he was a Russian contestant on this show. Um, And so this show, they're actually trying to make an international boy band. So you have uh, contestants from America, from – Korea. Not from Korea. So from America, from Japan, from – Ukraine from Were they singing Russia. in English or in um, Mandarin? They were singing in a mixture, all okay. sorts of languages. Um, yeah, so they had a whole range of international contestants. And this fellow Lelouch was a Russian guy who actually only went to escort two Japanese contestants. He was a Russian guy who was their Chinese tutor who didn't speak Japanese. So go figure, right? But he was escorting two Japanese contestants um, to the show. And then the producers went, oh, we're short on contestants. Hey, you look pretty cool. Do you want to come join the show? So he joined the show. And then somehow he did not care. He did not give a shit about the show. He wanted to go home and he was doing such a bad job that he told everyone in front of the cameras, please vote please me don't, off. <laughs> please don't vote for me. Like, don't vote for me. Nothing good will come out of this. Other people deserve it more. And when he kept failing assignments, he was so happy about them because he got downgraded to the F for fail class. And he said F means freedom. So it means that I'm going to go home. And he was so excited about it. But he blew up so much to a point where he is probably the most famous guy that has come out of this entire show. Can vouch for that. He's the only one that I know by name. Yeah, so he he came out of this so famous because his fans was obsessed with his I don't care attitude. The fact that he breaks every single boundary in the idol industry. He actually doesn't he he's like every other working working person. You know, he he goes to dance and sing because he has to. It's part of his job. And if he, he's tried to escape from this um, reality TV show, failed, and then determined, I'm going to do such a bad job that people have to not vote for me and kick me off the show. But no, they voted him into the finals. He's like the only one who didn't bother to didn't bother pretend that he is having fun. <laughs> no, no, no. He got up every single time and said, yep. what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> right? Even when his best mate left the show, spoiler alert, when his best mate left the show, his best mate left the show and said, stop voting for him. 
please don't vote for him. He really wants to go home to Moscow. <laughs> <Poor guy. laughs> um, no, it's actually – so despite all of that, that it is quite it is quite joking, but he, I will give him credit. He did put in effort because the joke of the whole season was that this fellow Lelouch, whose real name is Vladislav, I think, or Vlad, he – was everyone was there chasing their own dreams and his quote was I am here waking up every day for someone else's dream so I'm showing up to work for someone else's dream so aside from him like a real breakout star and very very entertaining he got his own theme song so whenever he showed up they played his theme song but don't you feel bad for the actual winners who are just no, completely I love that. Uh, well, uh, spoiler alert uh-huh. I love the guy who came first because he was rightfully the first and should have been the first and had he not been first I would have revolted and been a very sad panda but uh no the person who came first deserved it the person who came second deserved it the person who came third deserved it all in all very very wholesome show uh some really good performance stages some really tragic performance stages like really really tragic performance stages but um if you want to watch a wholesome reality tv show that really sucks you in it's available on we tv at the moment all of it is out because it's now complete it's available with english subs so the entire series is subbed and i do recommend the side show called who is a werewolf where all the boys go and basically play a game of werewolf Wait, so what, what's the show called again? Who, Trong? Trong 2021 or Produce Camp. Okay. So C-H-U-A-N-G 2021. I, I do recommend it. It's, it's, very, um, it's very wholesome. There's no – there are no bitch fights, unfortunately. But, <laughs> well, there were in the, some of the earlier episodes. But as a whole, very wholesome. It's all about people – being sunny and positive and spreading positivity and working really damn hard to chase their dreams. It inspired me to do my best at work the next day. So what I find really fascinating about these kinds of reality, like idol competitions, is it it almost turns becoming a pop star into like an Olympic sport. It absolutely is. Yeah, like it's really, really, really competitive. And when you think about how many people are in China of that generation, you know, it's really, really, really difficult to make it. And so the competition, the bar is really, really, really high. Yeah. So there's one guy in there who, bless his heart, I do quite like him. He is considered, quote unquote, old for the idol industry. He's 28 years old. 28 years old. He's been trying to become an idol for the last six years, which means he's not dated for the last six years. I felt bad for him. And I read this interview of his where he was talking about his um, a former relationship where the girl broke up with him because he wanted to be an idol and obviously he couldn't be married and an idol. And she said, you should just get married. But he... Give up his dream. He didn't want to give up his mm. dream, so he broke up with her. She went and got married. And then later on, years down the track, he showed up and checked in on her to see that she was happily married. Broke my heart. And then he, he talked about going home and having a cry because he still wasn't an idol and she'd been – like the love of his life had gone married to some other guy. Oh, my gosh. It's it like really tugs at your heartstrings, this show. Really tugs at your heartstrings. Uh, my recommendation is now on Netflix. It's a, a man – no, it's a Donghua, um, so a Chinese animated series, series – one or season one um, of Heaven's Official Blessing. What's it in Chinese? Uh, tian. <laughs> what's, it, what's it called in Chinese? Uh, tian, tian, guan si tian Guan Si Fu. I think it initially aired in November and December of 2020. So we're not getting it too late with English subtitles. I watched it back when it first aired, um, I think on Billy Billy, but now it's on Netflix, um, opened to the masses. So if you have a Netflix account, you can watch it easily. And it's the animation quality is really great. I love the music. The story is a little bit opaque. Um, so maybe you want to like um, read some synopsis before you get started. But it's based on this incredibly long web novel by... Guy pines <laughs> for another guy for 300 years. 800 years. 800. 800 300, 300. 300. 300. 
800 years. 800 years. Okay. Guy pines for another guy for 800 years, dies, comes back to life, dies, comes back you, to life, You're spoiling. Dies. You're spoiling the entire plot. <laughs> the end. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's it's about um, a relationship between a heaven official or a minor god and um, a demon king. So, like, they're both immortals. And there are these, like, like cases that they solve along the way. Um, I think that's forming the basis of the series. The first season, I think, I don't think it's just beautifully animated. Um, I really like the style of the animation. Um, I mean, I'm really excited to see the second season when it comes out. Um, and I think it's just a really good example of that genre. If you really like Asian animation, whether it's anime or donghua, you know, everyone can watch it now. And it's like a gateway drug to the rest of Chinese animation and Chinese dramas, if you like that sort of thing. Have you seen it? Of course I have. <laughs> course I have to say it so softly. <laughs> So, yes, I have seen it um, of all of the – so the author of the series is the same author of um, the, grand, uh, the Grand Master of Cultivation, so the, the Untamed. This is my preferred story of hers. I prefer this story to the Untamed. But don't, isn't it, isn't again, it like don't really unwieldy and long? Don't come at me with pitchforks. <laughs> Seriously, I'm, go- I'm just going to get so many, so much hate after this episode. I much prefer it to the Untamed. I think there's a lot more depth in it. And I haven't bothered reading the entire thing. It's like 400 words long or something. 400,000 words or something. It's very, very, very long. Very, very long. It's my preferred one out of the three. So she's come out with three novels. This is my preferred one. Actually, the first one was pretty good as well. Her first novel, the scum villain, scum sucking villain, blah, blah, blah. We'll we'll link it in the show notes as well. Sure. It's it's something about the scum scum villains system. Something, something. S-S-B-S-S-S or something. That's the one I never remember as well. I don't remember what the Chinese name for it is. It's called the Scum Villain Self-Saving System. I actually, I thought that one's pretty funny. Yeah, so um, hit us up if you're looking for, you know, some resources, links, if you just want us to explain what's happening, maybe we'll be able to help. So, yeah, those are our recommendations. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks, Di. (laughs) (laughs) This has been fun. It's been been a fun discussion. Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenipsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop into Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenipsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nip Section Facebook page or at the Nip Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nip Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Sharon Zai and Diana Dai. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dai. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith. Artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening.